0: The Holy Gospel today is from St. Mark the sixth chapter. Jesus went away from there, he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, "Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands?" Is this not the carpenter, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? They took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. He also could do no mighty works there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief. And he went among the villages teaching. He called the twelve. He began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. He said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out. They proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick. They healed them. This is the gospel of the Lord. So today's gospel lesson... And the Christian church's keeping of this holy tradition that Jesus gives them to do, starting with these 12, it makes absolute difference in this world, especially to me. Um, Personally, 1989, um, just finished up a sophomore year at the University of Arizona. Some of you on the call committee or maybe the the council had heard this once before, but um, many of you haven't. So as I'm finishing up a sophomore year, an advisor says, you now start another batch of classes. I was on a mechanical aeronautical engineering track. They said, um, you need to, we need to have some history classes and some other things as you start to get specialized. So in that, um, I was to take something out of the history department. Well, I was a little bit late in registering. Um, I was, I delayed. I got my statics and my dynamics and some of these other things I need to do. But when it came to this elective, I paused. And in that pause, some of the the favorite, the choice ones at the University of Arizona were already filled up. They had their maxed. So the list got smaller and smaller. I said, "Okay, I'll take this one. Well, didn't know what this one was, but it said the history or the epistles of St. Paul by F.R. Robert Burns. Fair enough. We're going to find out what the epistles are. Don't know what epistle is. And whoever St. Paul is, we're going to find out about St. Paul. Done. It checks off a requirement on my way rejoicing. So I'm in this class. Um, it starts off, again, FR stands for father. So it's a father. He's a, a, a I think he was Jesuit. They had a, a, big, a big campus there and they had their own schools and stuff like that. But he was a doctor, a PhD in history, and he was a Jesuit priest. And he was teaching this course. He introduced us. It was a kind of a combination of a Jewish world slash Greek world because he told us about how the Greeks came across and they just kind of conquered a lot of the world around the Mediterranean and had influence on the world. The Greek thought changed a lot of lives. Their order, their structures, their gods, their whole system changed the world. But the Greeks then got conquered by the Romans. So I learned about how the Romans came through and did their work into the Mediterranean world and, and it made impacts in the lives of the Jewish people for which I've figured out that Paul is a Jewish person. And then after we found out about the Romans, and we learned about the Jewish people and in great detail, the laws, the codes, the history books, the Moses books, the Torah scrolls, and how it was taught and the different schools of teaching that were there. And then how Paul was a premier person. I mean, he was almost like a Martin Luther of his day. He was smart. He knew his scriptures. He knew the codes. He knew he was trying and striving to live a blameless life. And he actually would say, I lived a blameless life. I, I didn't sin on the sins that were listed. I did it. And so much so that he vigorously, because he loved his Lord so much, was going to put a stop to anything, anything that would be contrary to the truth of his Heavenly Father as revealed in those historic Old Testament books. And so if there was a heresy, he was out to stomp on it. And if it wouldn't go away by that, he would kill it. One of the things I found out in this class is that it was Saul who was standing there and those that he had oversight over laid their cloaks, their coats at his feet means he had permission. He was given them permission to go about the task of stoning a heretic. That's what he did. He loved his Lord. He was passionate about it. No mistruths. So at his feet, they laid his cloaks and right there in front of him, he watched a man named Stephen being killed by stones. Not very many Americans have ever seen what stoning a person to death might look like. We can imagine it a little bit. Maybe getting hit by a baseball or softball or something like that. It's wicked. It's its, it's just it's harsh. There was a time about, five, I don't know, in my lifetime, maybe five, six years ago, when they were showing a video that was taken by uh, another religious group in the Middle East, and they were stoning a woman for something that she had done. And they showed the video. They showed the... Her, they they tore off her burkas type stuff and they put her out there and all these angry guys are around her and they were picking up the biggest bricks and rocks they could find. One of them, A couple of them were those big like cinder block type bricks and they were smashing her with stones to start off at a distance. You hear her screaming and then they, they hit her in the head and she's getting light because she's getting hit and she's bleeding and it's ugly and they're yelling, they're throwing stones. Finally she falls and they start picking up big stones and just It was bad. They pulled it off. But that's something that our culture doesn't know. It's too I mean, we just we don't see it, we don't even want to know about it. It's gross, it's ugly, it's mean, it's evil, right? Saul watched the stoning to death of Stephen, a Christian. As Stephen's being stoned by this angry group, he says, Father, forgive them. He's echoing Jesus on the cross. As he's dying, he says, Into your hands, Father, here I come. Echoing Jesus. Jesus was in him to his very last breath, and Jesus met him on the other side. But that was a stoning, and Saul oversaw it. Saul was on his way to Damascus to stomp down this, this lie, this heresy that the Christians were saying there. And on his way to Damascus, God. Intervened, if you will. We read a little bit about it. He said, I don't know whether my body in the, in, or not in my body. I was taken to the heavens, the third heavens. I was taken into paradise. He talks about being in a place that we won't know yet. He got to see it. Paul on his way there, he's knocked off his horse. He's blinded. The radiance and the, the holiness and the light and the power of God blinded him. And as his mind's opened up, his body's got this blindness. And he's seeing things. And he sees Jesus for who he is. The son of the living God. He sees the scars in Jesus. He's the one that wears that stolen. He's the one that has the marks of the cross. And he sees them. And the history is revealed. in the, the revelation of God throughout history. And the prophets and been revealed. Paul is seeing what God sees. Seeing the world as God sees. He will never be the same. He didn't even talk about it. He says, I don't even write about this. And I don't even tell you more because I don't want you to think I boast. Because all the glory goes to God, not to me. That's a radical change from a man who is with God on one side to now being on this other side with God, but now the fullness of God, including Christ Jesus. He comes in this moment, and, and from this moment, he's blinded, as I said, and then he still goes to Damascus because the Lord says you're going to go to Damascus, and there you're going to find somebody, or they're going to find you. You're blind. You can't find him. Now, the cool thing about this in Damascus, there's a man, Ananias, and he had a vision from God. He said, Ananias, I want you to go find Saul. And Ananias is probably thinking, you're nuts. I don't like him. He killed my friend. He stoned my friend to death. I want nothing good for him. I want ugly things for him. And I do not want to bring him good news. Ananias, go find Saul. Go to the street, bring him back. Ananias, in fear, out of, and probably not very happy, was obedient to his Lord, and he went, he found Saul, he told Saul, he put hands on him, he prayed for him, Saul's eyes were healed, something like scales came off of his eyes and he could see, and from that moment on, Paul was unleashed, With only the, he was leashed by his Lord, but he is unleashed in this world. We read about this, we learned about this in the epistles of St. Paul. And then from that moment on, he goes to one place to another, he goes on to three different missionary journeys. Risking his life, investing everything he has and even the stuff he doesn't have. He's going like the disciples. He didn't know where his next food came from. He didn't know. Sometimes he just went because he was just led to go. And if there was a storm in front of him, fine. If the ship sank, fine. He'd be washed up. God provided for him. God protected him. God kept him from dying. Several times they were going to beat him and stone him, and they did beat him and break him. He was arrested and imprisoned, but he could not release himself from the call of his Lord upon his life. And he kept telling everybody that had ears to hear about the son of God, Jesus Christ, who loves so much that he would even forgive and call a man named Saul and rename him Paul. I learned that story. I learned that story because the disciples followed what Jesus said to do. So Jesus gave Word to John, to the disciples, to the church, to Paul, throughout the history, to a Roman Catholic priest in a little town called Tucson, Arizona, and ultimately to me. This story matters. And that story is shared by the church. Um, the tradition continues to change lives, our reason and purpose to exist as people is to participate in this story and change lives. To draw all people into this truth and share this with each other because we love them. We love them. Now, in the story, I said there's, um, in the in the gospel lesson, in this chapter six, it's 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 like a the continental divide, if you were. The first five chapters coming up to this is one part of Jesus' ministry, a lot of uh, ministry in Capernaum. From this point on, he's going to finish a little top part he's going to finish his ministry in Galilee and from here he starts his ministry in Judea the last thing that happens in this mountaintop thing is he goes back to his hometown one more time he's gone there once and they rejected him they wanted to throw him off a cliff this next time he goes back maybe just maybe they'll change their minds he gave him another chance they reject him and now he starts and then we have the sinning of the 12 so it's kind of a, in the book it's kind of that that, that pivotal piece And now, as we get to this pivotal piece, a couple of things to think about. Up until this point, up until the 12 are sent, it's Jesus only. Everything for this half of this ministry, plus um, one and a half years or so, Jesus has done it all. He has decided when to go and where to go and how to get there. By walking, by boat, whatever. He has decided those things. It was him alone. He has done all the, all the public speaking. The disciples didn't do anything. They just listened. If he taught, it was Jesus teaching. If it was answering questions from people who had soft hearts and just wanted to know the mind of God and have something enlightened on them because they were seeking God, if that was going to happen, Jesus is the one who gave them the answer. If, if it was someone who was just defensive against God and wanting to maintain their pride and their stature and, and their way and be God of their lives and not surrender to their Lord, and they were having this war, this verbal argument with Jesus so they could be dominant over the Son of God, He was the one that debated them. He was the one who spoke to them, and He was the one who made sure that they knew that He knew more because He was the one who wrote the books that they studied. He was the author of life. He was there at the beginning. He revealed to Him, all these people, who He was. If there was a healing to be done, it was Jesus who healed. If anybody came forward with broken bones, fevers, and other illnesses, blindness and deafness or leprosies, Jesus was the one who did it. If there was a storm that needed to be silenced, Jesus is the one who spoke to the winds. Winds stop, waves cease. Jesus. He restored life to the little girl when she had died. Where Jesus was, the mission ministry happened. If anybody wanted to see it, they had to go where Jesus was or get in the path of where he was going. Now after years of this traveling village by village, town by town, maybe house by house, and then city by city, after about a year and a half of this, thousands have been touched. Think about it, a year and a half of traveling and doing these things, he was indiscriminate with his message. If you had a pulse, if you had eyes and ears, he was there to tell you the truth. If you had an illness, he didn't care if you were rich or poor, old or young. He didn't care about any of the things that might divide us. He didn't care about your language, your family background, what level of close proximity you were to the Lord, whether you were super close to your Lord, striving and reading his books and striving for holiness, or whether you had total disregard and you were just prostituting every aspect of your life out. Indiscriminately, he was finding them and telling them the truth and calling them to holiness and bringing healing to them. That is what he did. And after this, there's thousands of people starting to follow. The reputation of this healer and this teacher is spreading. And the burden of this is getting big. The crowds are so big, sometimes he escapes by night to another part because the crowds are just so big. This is all going on. But it's just one person, Jesus. And it's the same story. Son of God, good news, life, salvation. That's led up to this part, and he's gone to his town, and they rejected him. Now, this next part is, he tells the 12, you're going to, start, you're going to batter up, right? Batter up. He says, back in chapter 1, and verse 17, he says, "I'm follow me, he, said, he invited him, follow me, I will make you, or I will teach you, or I will give you the ability to become my disciples. He said that in chap- verse 17 of the very first chapter. Way back then, if you follow me, I'm going to make you become my followers, my, my disciples, fishers of men. They didn't realize it for that last year and a half. They were becoming that. Because everywhere Jesus went, it was the same message. I mean... If, if, you only, if you only have one message to give, you just give it to a bunch of different places, but it's the same message. So if Jesus was at Capernaum, it was the same message as if he was in another city, in another city. Everywhere he went, it's the same message. And for a year and a half, they heard this message. These 12 disciples heard Jesus talking about the same things, healing the same diseases, doing this for now a year and a half. They're ready. They know the words. There's not a whole lot of creativity with this old message. It's just new faces and new locations. So now they've heard it. They heard the invitation to follow and their hearts responded and they said, okay, we'll follow. They heard a life call as it's been unpacked for a year and a half. All that Jesus has just loved and done. And now they're not just a, a, a life's calling, but now it's a call to give life. It's their turn. And it's risky. We have got to know this from the right, from this moment that when Jesus says, I'm going to send you now, they probably were a little bit nervous. They had to have been. Because they've watched, not only the crowds following Jesus because they, they were, they're loving him and feeling the great embrace of God in their lives, but they've also been watching the crowds out of the cities and the popular, powerful ones who didn't want to submit to the reign and rule of God. They've watched them grow with greater numbers and animosity and attacks of him as well. And just, just words before, a sentence before they heard this message, they watched the people of Jesus' town come after him. Jesus' hometown had heard and probably knew someone had been healed by him. They had to have. He'd been working in that vicinity. They have had to have known at least one person that he had personally forgiven and healed. They had to have known about his teaching and what he was said and how he's given them hope that in the Son of God, there's going to be forgiveness of sin and salvation. It's going to be given freely because God so loves in this Son. They've known about that. And now that this person, they don't even call him their own. They don't even name him. They're just talking about him in third person in this in these words. This person comes back. Who is he? Who gave him his authority to say those words? They're questioning his authority. They're questioning his motives. It gets uglier than that. We know this in smear campaigns in our world. When one political party doesn't like the other one and they want to get our money and our vote. They'll start smearing the other one. Well, you know he doesn't brush his teeth, or he never has. He has bad personal hygiene, or he 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 reads bad books, or he, you know they smear them to try bring them down so that maybe they look a little bit higher. In this Bible lesson, go back and read it today, chapter six. They are smearing the good name of Jesus by bringing the question: His mother's pregnancy is this not the son of Mary? Isn't she the one that was like pregnant before she got married, right? They're smearing him. And then he's like his half brothers and half sisters. What is this? Who is this clown? They came after him, folks. And the disciples, they saw that and do not want to have anything to do with it, maybe. They're afraid of it. I'd be afraid of it. There's a part of me that doesn't want any of this to go outside of our room here to the internet, because I know in the internet world, people just scour that world looking for someone to pounce on to try to oppress and intimidate and cause trouble with. And I don't want that kind of recognition. I just want to go about God's business of loving God and loving people. They didn't have that chance. He sends them. And they know the risk because they've just seen it. His hometown rejects him. They're questioning the source. But still, they're going to be sent. And as they're sent, it's really simple, Friends. Two pieces. First thing is the message. The same message has been given from the beginning is to be given now. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, God's Son, bringer of good news. That's the message. Repent, confess, believe, and have life. That's all they did from one place to another to another. If they received it, it was great news, and they, were, they could stay there, and they could talk about all they'd seen and heard all they, until, they, until they had to move on. But they would often be rejected, so they wipe the dust off their feet, they'd go to the next one. Their choice, they had no choice that they could go, they had no choice to not speak the message. Whether you like what the pastor has to say or not, it's not he's not determined by that. We are bound to present what God tells us to say, whether you like to hear it or not. If you don't like to hear about sexual immorality, then don't do it. But I can't say that it's not right. If you talk about money and the use of our greeds and our time, our laziness, our apathy, whatever it is, we don't have the discretion to say no. We have to say the word. They had no chance. They had to say what Jesus has been saying all along. One message, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one everything. That was their message. Um, repent. Once one of the words that came out today, Repent. They would say to anybody who had ears, turn your back to the lies of the world and turn your eyes back to God. Repent. Turn around. Put your face to the Lord. Put your scriptures in front of His eyeballs. Put His words into your ears. Put His holiness and His calls of heaven into your life. Put God before you. Strive after those things. Run after those things. Cling to those things. Repent. The next word is confess because He absolutely know that they're going to screw it up. They do it in their lives, the disciples. They saw it in the lives of people. It's not about our perfection. It's about our humility, going to God as beggars, saying, God, I need your bread, and hearing that God loves and forgives. He knows we're not going to be perfect. We can't be. He took care of that with his son. So you repent, you turn your face to God, you confess to your God, and then from there, and you're on your knees and you're saying, I can't, but you can, then you hear the good news. That if you just believe that Jesus loves you, that his, his, his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient, He's got it covered. It's not about you, it's about Him. His love's bigger than your sins. Believe the good news. You'll have life now. But more than that, you have life for eternity. When these bodies get tired, eventually you can't get healed anymore because your time on earth is done Fine. Celebrate it because you wake up in heaven in the presence of your Lord and your heavenly family. What a gift that is. That's what they did. One message and they traveled around saying it. But the other part to this was it's just not their words. It's what they. It's how they lived. They were to manifest God to the people, which means um, the light bulb's purpose is to allow electricity to flow through it and then light up so it can get light out. These guys were to light up so that the world could see God shining in them, manifesting, which means the Spirit of God is working in them and through them. You could see it and hear it and smell it and taste it and touch it. You could be exposed to God through these guys. That's what they're to do. Share the good news and, and be reflections of the Lord in their life for the world to see. And that's what they were sent to be and to do. And they did it. Now thinking about this message for us, there's a clever little acronym in our modern world. It's called Frog. Christians use this as frog. F-R-O-G. Put in a vertical line, F-R-O-G, and then each word, each letter stands for something. First letter F fully. Next letter R, rely. Next letter O on. Last letter G, God. Frog. Used to make bracelets. F-R-O-G, little frog symbols on them. You know, Christians, it was a little, little code for Christians. Fully rely on God. That's what they're being tested with. And this is their first hint. See, later on in the book, at the end of it, after Jesus has the cross, has the resurrection, has the ascension, he tells them, go and make disciples of all nations. He sends them out, and he's not coming back. There's, that's full time till the day you breathe your last breath. But this is like a little sample. This is a test. This is a trial run to make sure your wings actually work. And so, they're in this trial run, they were to fully rely on God. That everything they've seen and done and experienced for the last year and a half, when they put it to work, is going to soar. People are going to be infected with this good news. Not all of them, but the ones that, were, that, that will receive it will receive it well. And they rely, much like the Israelites had to do in the Old Testament when they went to the desert. When they went out to the desert, they had no food, they had no water, they had no other provisions. They had to fully rely on God. How many times in the Testament did they go to battle and they had to rely on God? Example after example, it takes a while for us to learn that we can fully rely on God. They had to learn it too. The disciples were sent on a short little trip to put this to the test, put their Lord, give him the opportunity to say that he was dependable and they could rely on him. And that is happening in this lesson too. In this tradition, this story, this story, It's meant to be continued. This wasn't a one and done. It wasn't just for those disciples. Those disciples weren't necessarily special. They are just guys. If they were the gals, it would have been guys. They would have been just like you and me. We might lift them high and lifted up in our minds because they have to do with the scriptures and they're with Jesus and all this. But to their world, they were just ordinary folks. There was not a whole lot special to them. In fact, sometimes they were disliked. They were fishermen. I mean, it's no difference in, you know, what's more special as fishermen or a, a person who builds houses or a person that makes plumbing, a person that runs wire, a schoolteacher. They were just ordinary guys. That's all they were. One, uh, most of them were fishermen. Um, one of them was a tax collector. No one liked those guys. They ratted out their country. They ratted out their own people so they can make a profit. Oh, now he's one of the disciples too. And then there was a Zealot, the guy who was like fanatical about getting rid of the Romans and going to war and doing all this stuff. He became one of them as well. These were not anybody other than folks that we just maybe see around ourselves. They were just like us. And yet, they risked hearing Jesus, following Jesus, making his word their own, and then sharing it with the world. They knew who Jesus was. And when he sent them, they made Jesus known. That's what we do today as a church. That's our reason and purpose to exist as a people. We are baptized. We are made to know Jesus. Our lives, the closer we get to the Lord, the more blessed and beautiful they are. The clo- further away we get from the Lord, the more we experience hell and all the deficiencies thereof. If you get tired of the hell ways, you get tired of everything opposite of love and joy and peace and patience. When you get to the anger and the jealousies and the fits of rage and all the impatience and the and the, when you get tired of hell enough, turn your face back to God. That's what we tell the world. We invite them back. And sure, we're going to turn eventually back to the world. But then someone's going to remind us, oh, go back to God, right? Just keep turning, keep fighting for that, reminding each other. This church that's what they were called to be, and that's what they'd done. And it even affected someone 2,000 years later in a little town called Tucson because it got to me. That old message by ordinary folks made its way to me. That class combined with the church, a Lutheran church, sits on the corner of Speedway and Campbell in Tucson, Arizona, which would be the northeast corner of the campus. U of A's there is about a square mile on that corner our savior's lutheran church every year that church church sometime in the summer about the time we're reading these lessons and thinking about the scene of the 12 and then the 70 about this time of the year um before school's completely out or just after school starts i just know it was, I just know it was a hot um and it was that year so i was taking the class of epistle of saint paul that church sends out 35 pairs of of people. It makes seventy. They call it the sinning of seventy. The church makes cookies. Oh, they made cookies by the thousands. They bagged up hundreds of bags of cookies. They staple them in paper bags. They staple a little message on there. It says our Savior Lutheran Church, something like God loves you, we love you and maybe a Bible verse on there. I don't even remember what it was. I remember that the cookies were good. <laughs> cookies were good. To a college guy away from home cookies were amazing. And now I'm beholding because if you get a gift from somebody, you gotta at least say thank you. So I had to go and say thank you. But before that, so they knock on the door. They give you a bag of cookies. And then they say, can we pray for you? And the guy that knocked on my door, he's like taller than me. I was like looking up. And I thought he's like eight feet tall. But he's this big, Olson was his last name, Pastor Olson. Biggest white head of hair you can imagine. It was like a Chia pet on his head, white hair. And then this sweet little lady next to him. They weren't married. He wasn't married. They were just working together as a pair that day. So they're going around this apartment complex, knocking on doors, passing out cookies. And before I went back in the room and said, can we pray? He said, yes. So I held their hand. They said prayer. Inside, eight cookies. And I said, okay, I got to go find what Lutheran church is all about. They were keeping a tradition. Every year, one church sending them out. And who knew? I bet to this day that those, a lot of those folks there had no idea that the sending of their 70 would make a difference in their world. In anybody's world. What difference does it make? We're going to take those cookies, people we haven't seen for a while, and they're still not going to come to church. Or we're going to take them to people they only visited once, and then they're going to come back. We're going to take them to people we never know. What difference does it make? We don't have to do this. Why are we going to make cookies? Why are we going to traipse around the Sea of Tucson in the hottest summer, knocking on doors? They might not like us. They might be offended by us. They might tell us to go away and never come back. Why do this at all? Because it made a difference to one, me. I mean, think about it. Had they not gone where would the connection have been? Because they did what they did, I start going to church, and that starts going to church with me. It's really kind of cool. They adopt us in. The pastor there was raised by a Jewish father and an Irish Catholic mother. He had no exposure a whole lot to Jesus, but he met his girlfriend in college. They got married, and behold, lo and behold, he feels a call of God to be a pastor. Because of his effort, knowing those things, and that church's effort, they reached out to students, and at least one out of all those years, it changed. I was felt a call to be a pastor. Went to seminary, and in seminary, went across the Sea of Tucson and a couple other places sharing good news because they were practicing us up. I don't know if any of those people I ever talked to made a difference. It's not my place to know. It's not your place to know. Your place is to do what the disciples did. Be obedient share the good news, manifest God's love, and keep coming back to him. That's all you do. And that's what they did. They never knew that after seminary, I had 21 years of being a pastor, think about how many times I've had a chance to tell people about Jesus over 21 years. That's a lot. I didn't see it coming. They sure as heck might not even know it's happening. But because of their faithfulness, one life was changed. And because of that life, a whole bunch of other people over 21 years have heard. In the United States, around our country, mission trips around the world, um, places where there's just been tornado ravaging, broken homes, broken marriages, all the woundedness of the world, hearing the same message. Come back to your Lord, confess, hear the good news you're loved, you're forgiven, and try again. What would happen if Pastor Solberg hadn't heard? Think about him pastor olson think about the pastors you know if the church hadn't done what the church was called to do how would they have ever known so our role in this emmanuel lutheran church is to take the today's bible lesson and put it to work between now and the end of this year here's here's just a a request and something to consider prayerfully consider having us between now and the time it gets too cold that we can't walk on the sidewalks without falling on the ice or something but between now and the fall that we as a congregation figure out when is it that we want to send 70 more if we want to but minimum is 70 35 pairs and we'll have bags of cookies and we'll have a little message that says god loves you has her address and have an invitation to say come and see and that's it and then go around northwest arkansas wherever we can knock on the doors give them a bag of cookies offer a prayer and then leave and trust that god's going to do all the rest of the work that we will be that church. And we don't have to know the outcomes. We don't have to know how many lives will be changed. We just know that we did our part, we're being faithful, and God will do His part, and He'll touch the right life at the right time, and He'll bring them home. So, as you're thinking about this lesson, it's kind of nice to get a lesson and go home and say, well, that was a nice lesson, forget about it. This isn't one of those. This is one of those lessons where you've heard it, and now you're asked to do something. Be the church. You were baptized. You've been learning about this stuff most of your life. You know these stories. Now you're like disciples after a year and a half. It's time to go do something. Knock on some doors. So let's plan this between now and the fall. Don't let it slide. Hopefully God will infect us with this little thing and we'll make it happen. And then we'll see how many lives will be touched. Maybe he'll show us that. Either way. God help us be that church. We'll end. Amen.